everybody. How you doing today? It's Monday, March 21st, and we welcome you to PD and P-Dubs Unscripted. Uh, we're so glad you joined with us today as we talk about Faith Intersections. PD, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good, P-Dubs. How about yourself? Hanging in there, having a great time, uh, just working our way through Lent and just some exciting times in our world with baseball starting up again and March Madness and wow, what a just a great, exciting time. Right. Even though this is... You know, we're recording before the March Madness started. Have you filled out a bracket yet? I have not, and uh, I have to get going on it because I heard that there were playing games yesterday. And... Who cares about the playing games? Those teams <laughs> are going to lose. Oh, come on. Someone's going to do an upset somewhere along the way, and it could be one of them. I doubt that one. <laughs> I have no faith in those playing teams. No faith in the playing teams. Yeah, I have. Um, I have to confess, I really haven't been following college basketball, so I don't know much, if anything, about the teams this year. I do uh, understand that Loyola is in it, and uh, maybe DePaul. Yeah. I I don't know. I thought I thought I saw their their logo on the sports report last night, where I was kind of dozing in and out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just know the one podcast I listened to. They did you know I was listening to it today, and they had a college basketball guy, and on Monday they had talking, and a lot of their talk was you know the big deal is that it's Coach K's last year. He's retiring at the yeah, end of the season, right? So they're talking about Duke, and neither of them really like Duke. So they're like, when would be the best time for Duke to lose? Mm. You know, would yeah. it be great to have him lose right away in the first round or to get to the Sweet 16 and get destroyed? <laughs> so they're talking wow. about... Just plotting against plotting him, you against- know, like, would give us, just summarily usher him out <laughs> right. after all these years. And then, then today I heard talking about Gonzaga, how they're always like the underdog. We always view them as an underdog, mm. yet they are the number one seeded team overall. Like, they came into the season number one. They had the preseason, like, most valuable player, and they have some really tall freshman kid that's really, like, lanky-looking. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. The perception of Gonzaga over the years has been, like like you say, an underdog. But they're probably in the brackets, you know, in the tournament more than we would right. really imagine. Right, and they're the number one in this conf, the one that Duke is in. Mm-hmm. And I'm just opening up this Chet Holmgren kid on Gonzaga to show you. Boy, he's a tall drink of water. But look how skinny he's. Man, he needs to eat some biscuits and gravy or something. Something, but something yeah. Something to get a little stocky in him. Chet Holmgren. That's about how I looked, Pastor, going into uh, college as a freshman. Yeah, they said he's seven foot tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you looked in college. Yeah, he's seven foot tall and 194 pounds. Wow. Okay, well, I wasn't seven foot tall. I was six foot four and 174. So. It was kind of proportional. Proportional. Yeah. But yeah, like, so he's just a tall, lanky kid. And I'm like, I just would be afraid of him breaking a leg or something, jumping up and down. Yeah. Wow. Whew. But that, yeah, that so that's always, rough. and this is usually the weekend I only really care about that is the first weekend because I'm just here for the upsets. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, well, we're not here for the upsets and, and bracketology, uh, so to speak. We're here to talk about faith intersections. And, uh, you know, it's, Looking through some articles and blogs, and I noticed this one uh, by Cities Project Global uh, that had the title, What If We Aim to Bless People Instead of Convert Them? And it caught my attention, and I shared it with Pastor this morning. And, uh, you know, the first question out of the gate on the article is, how are you witnessing to your non-Christian friends? 
And uh, so he says, this is a phrase often uttered in Christian unions, youth groups, and churches. So, um, you know, uh, we as Christians, we think of this is our charge, right? To uh, reach out to others, to let them know who Jesus is. Christ commanded it to go and make disciples. And so we take that seriously. And uh, that's what we endeavor to do to hopefully grow God's kingdom. But yet the article talks about like, well, um, how could that message be received in the public circles? And um, how could our posture be seen? And that's where it started intriguing me a little bit. Right. And as I was looking through that article this morning, I could see they got some of their stuff there from the book Unchristian by David Kinnaman. Oh, okay. Which, hard to believe, that book is 10 years old now. That's crazy. I remember that was a really big deal when that came out. Like, uh-huh. I remember reading it there, but like in there, and like you see that on uh, the one paragraph when they're talking about, you know, uh, where was that? I can't find that right now. Where I, Oh, it's in the Examining Your Posture of Public Faith, mm-hmm. about the third paragraph there, the truth is that to many outsiders, Christianity may seem rather unchristian. Churchgoers are accused of being hypocritical, sheltered, condescending, and judgmental. You know, and you know, if we're going to be honest with each other, there is that. We do receive that uh, probably fairly in some respects, don't you think? Right, and I mean, looking at the table of contents to the unchristian book, you know, one of the, you know, each chapter deals with like the six, I think, myths or whatever they said, or how people view you know, it's hypocritical, get saved, anti-homosexual, sheltered, too political, and judgmental. Mm-hmm. So they hit upon some of those there with the hypocritical, sheltered, judgmental, and so, and like, I could see how the condescending could fit into some of those categories. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that, you know, you and I have tried to portray um, that we have to kind of look introspectively at ourselves and trying to be, you know, more authentic and more caring and more uh, connecting with uh, people in this world so that we don't come across as this way. So I know you and I really try and make an approach to where we let people see us for who we are. Yes, we are pastors, but we're also you know, individuals who sin and we understand, you know, where Speak we fall yourself. short. <laughs> well, I thought I could talk with, for both of us on that uh, one. I, yeah, you can. Wow. <laughs> God, God, don't punish me, please. Yeah, for that right. I'll, I'll take a step back here. But especially in the next section of the article, it says working together for the common good in the public square because we, we do need to come off as authentic and approachable and loving and caring uh, so that when you know disaster strikes, such as like natural disaster or personal crises, um, those kind of personal disasters, financial and the and the like, or um, or even something such as like what's going on in Ukraine, where you know a whole country has been invaded and people are fleeing by the millions, and so you see the effect of all of people coming together, Christian and unChristian various faiths coming together, working for the common good in the public square. And so if you're entering the public square, you know, uh, coming off with uh, these kind of things like being hypocritical, sheltered, condescending, judgmental, you're not going to really fare very well in the public square. Right. And, you know, looking at that, as you were talking about that, I was trying to look up something about, like, because you brought up the word authenticity or being authentic. 
And that is such a huge thing, especially with the younger generations. Yes. To be authentic. And I was just looking up a quote from the books, The Space Between, A Parrot's Guide to a Teenage to Teenage Development by Walt Mueller. And kind of how I had it summarized is that teenagers value authenticity and vulnerability in adults. It is also important for church leaders to be authentic and vulnerable when preaching or teaching. And that's not just for pastors, but it's for anybody. Yeah. That authenticity, that vulnerability to say, listen, I don't always get it. And then people will see, okay, that you actually genuinely care about that person and not just viewing them as another number. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where... Um, People are willing to give Christians a chance if they see that vulnerability or that authenticity and to at least be uh, to approach them and to let down those oh, those perceptions that maybe they have, warranted or unwarranted. Because, I mean, people are people. We cast judgment on one another, uh, and Christian or non-Christian. And But if you're willing to kind of lay that down and aside and look at the person for how they're approaching you, then, then you have an opportunity, right, mm-hmm. to connect uh, as as two individuals, and yeah. I think that's kind of what this article was getting at, and um, that you know how how can we work together, in, you know, for the common good, and especially, you know, you and I have gone and led many mission trips of the like and uh, various types, and that those kinds of things get you out into the public sector, right. And just on a mission trip, you never know who you're going to interact with, mm-hmm. and really, if they are a Christian. Yeah. And so, and that can be a really eye-opening thing because, you know, it depends on how you act on that mission trip, how people would view you and be like, "Boy, really, these Christians—they're helping me, but they don't seem to really care to get to know you." And sometimes, you know, that's part of what mission trips are. You might be there to paint a house or build something, mm-hmm. but a huge aspect of it too is getting to know the people that you're serving right. and building that connection, even if it's just for that short time. I mean, sometimes the situation doesn't lend itself to that where you can maybe get to know the people. But you, I'm sure you've seen that where people just want to be seen when you're yeah. serving them. Exactly. And um, what you described reminds me of when I went down to Henryville in southern Indiana many years ago after a big tornado ripped through this small town. And there was, uh, we were uh, assigned to this trailer that had been hit by the tornado, and uh, it was owned by a younger man who lived next door. Well, he was staying next door, and our thing was to demolish the trailer because it was already kind of half demolished. And we send a team in there of teenagers and adults, and we're just going at it and taking things apart, and, uh, you know, he never really came around, but you could kind of see him next door observing us, watching us, assessing us, and then, like, later in the day, he came over and he, and he like, introduced himself, and he goes, oh, I feel bad that I'm not doing anything. You guys are doing all the work, and we're like, hey, that's okay. You know, you, you've been through a lot, and after he saw the effort that we were willing to do to pick up whatever it was to haul it away, he realized... He said, "You know, did you, are, do you guys work?" And we <laughs> said, "Yeah, we work." And he goes, "Well, how how long are you here?" And we're like, "Well, we're here all week. You're taking vacation to come down and help people you don't even know." We're like, "Yeah, this is what we do. You know, right. the, the, we want to be here." And you could just see it like clicking in his eyes like, "Who are these people?" Who would do such Who a thing? Who would do such a thing? 
And, uh, you know, we we just said, oh, yeah, we, we come from a church up in, you know, the Chicago area. And uh, but then it was like all of a sudden that inspired him enough to really start picking up tools and helping the effort. And right. so it was like therapeutic to him because I'm sure he looked at his trailer and he thought, oh, this is beyond what anything that I could address. And so now he sees a you know, a whole team of people there. And he's like, that was the connecting point that kind of got him over the hump. You know what I mean? So that was really cool to see. And, uh, you know, when we sat down on breaks afterwards, we we got to share a little bit about our lives and who we were. And But, um, you know, I guess we didn't, like, directly go out to convert that person. But we shared who we were, that we were Christ followers. This is what we do because we care. We're bringing compassion and we're showing it by the level of effort that we're wanting to do, you know, and that was powerful. So, yeah, that's a great point you bring up there where you're talking about how that guy saw that and it was like a positive reinforcement, like, oh, this is making a difference, and he wanted to then help. Mm -hmm. And as you were talking about that, I was reminded kind of of the opposite, but it's still the same concept of planting the seeds, and you don't know when that seed's going to blossom, and so you saw it kind of there maybe blossom a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think in one of the mission trips I went to in, oh, it was Caldwell, Ohio, the first mission trip I ever led, first one I ever went on. Mm, okay. And we were at this person's house, and, you know, there was, I would say the lady was mid-40s or so, had four or five, like, teenage kids and younger, and turtles, and all these pets, and all these animals, and we're sitting there, like, painting, or, like, doing some painting, power washing the house, and it's like, why are we doing this? Because all the kids looked able-bodied. She looked able-bodied. Our kids are the same age as some of these kids. Okay. Why aren't they doing this? And then, like, I think what one kind of got me a little more frustrated or annoyed was hearing that, you know, three of the girls in our group, they were painting this, like, teenage boy's room while he just kind of sat there watching TV on the couch or on Mm. his... It's like... Really? It's like, why are we here? Like, earlier in the week, you know, we were helping this widow, this older lady. Yeah, fits the profile. Yeah, does all this stuff. Yeah. And so that's that judgmental where we have this like, this is who I want to help. I want to help that older person, that widow or that elderly couple because they can't do this. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, and I was talking to one of our members who was maybe about seven, eight years older than me coming home from that. And I'm just like, oh, I'm so frustrated, so annoyed. And he's like, you know, I've been there, had that same emotions, but we don't know what their circumstances are. Mm-hmm. We don't know their background. And so we're playing the seed, and maybe down the road this will make a difference. Mm. And, you know, as I was going through that right now, it reminded me of, you know, I shared before we started how I was kind of was reading in my the Red Letter devotional book. Yeah. And they are talking about don't take, you know, don't judge one another. And they shared the story in there, which I'm like, that is a really powerful, like, example. But it was about this person that rode into good old Ann Landers. Okay. You know, <laughs> and it was like, they're like, I'm a cashier at a grocery store, and... Oh, just, you know, I'm sick of seeing people come in with food stamps, buying cakes and shrimp and all this stuff. You know, they're just lazy and useless. You know, why are they wasting food stamps on that? That should be for what you truly need. You don't need birthday cakes and all that. Right. And then a few weeks later, somebody wrote in saying, I was that person that bought that $17 birthday cake with my food stamps. I bought it for my daughter who has maybe a few months to live. So we thought that, you know... We wanted this birthday cake for her mm. because 
she doesn't have much time left, so we want to make this special. Wow. So it's like... Got you right between the eyes there. Right. And I was like, you know, that's something kind of... That mission trip story I just shared, it's mm-hmm. that same, like, we don't know their background. We think we just see what we see, and we make assumptions, and our judgments not aren't always right. Mm. But I was like, what a powerful example. Like, you know, I can kind of even relate to that, like, working in a grocery store and seeing people with the food stamps, like, why are you buying all this stuff when, mm-hmm. you know, you have maybe financial troubles? Do you really need this? Yeah, right, right. And I don't know their background. I would have never wrote into Dear Abby or mm-hmm. Ann Landers, whatever one, you know, to voice my frustration. But I thought that was a really great point of, like, we don't know. We don't know what's going on in their lives, right, for sure. And uh, I had a similar one, uh, just real quick, in Michigan where we were cleaning out a garage. It was like an older grandma and her adult uh, son, uh, grandson, was uh, living with her, and he had a bicycle. So we cleaned out the garage thinking, oh, this is how we'll help. And kind of we saw some kind of suspect materials in the garage, uh, but we told the kids, you know, just clean it all out, and there was an alleyway behind and we put everything outside the garage in the alleyway. And then the grandma said, oh, I have lunch for you. Come on up to the house to eat. So everybody goes and inside the house, and we go back after lunch, and the bike is gone. Somebody stole the bike. And so we're like, oh, boy, what have we done? You know, we got to get her grandson, who's an adult, uh, his, another bike. So we all decided we'll be good Christians. We will pool our money together. And we went and we found and bought another bike. And... uh and so we roll up, we wait till he comes back home, and uh, we're like, oh, what a great surprise this is going to be. We're going to bring this guy a brand new bike. And he comes in the front door, and we come out with it, and it's a shiny new bike. And we're like, yeah, man, we're sorry we lost you. You know, your bike got stolen because of us. Here's a brand new bike. And we were, like, waiting for this great, like, thank you. What a great, well, you people are awesome. He, he barely looked at us, grabbed the bike, and took it right inside the house. And we're all kind of like, what the heck? You know, we, you know, we went, obviously we got the bike stolen, you know, but he like totally downplayed it. And somebody had a great observation. It's like, you know, there's people in the neighborhood kind of watching and observing. Number one, who are you to get your house taken care of, you know? And right. so there's judgments coming from the neighbors. And now this big presentation of a brand new bike He's like, I, I just don't want any attention on me. Right. Because after we do-gooders leave, who he's knows left that, with, you know, the, the fallout. And who knows that that new bike won't be stolen now because they know he has it. They has That he has it. So, like, sometimes, you know, we're trying to be authentic and we're trying to, you know, be good and compassionate. But sometimes we don't really know the full story, right. like, of, of the whole setting or the whole environment. And uh, so that was a learning thing for me too. Who was, was it? What was the guy that used to? Now you know the rest, and here's the rest yeah. of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for and, sure. You know, as I was reading through this too, like one of the headlines that grabbed me was, "Do you care about what I care about?" Mm. And I started thinking about like mission trips, and like you never know who you're going to help if they are Christian, if they're not right. playing the seeds. And like I remember on one mission trip where we were the beneficiaries of somebody, and they weren't even Christian. And so we were driving down from Salem, Illinois, down to New Orleans. Lovely drive. Yeah. Pretty straight shot, you know. <laughs> and we were just... A lot of scenery. A lot of scenery, just south of Memphis in Horn Lake, Mississippi. Mm. I'll never forget that town. Yeah. Horn Lake, Mississippi. 
Great name. Yeah, and so about 4.30 on a Sunday afternoon, one of the tires on the bus blew, and it was a dual-tire bus, so like each tire had two, so we were able to make it to get to a Walmart, mm-hmm. and we had our, our very handy people trying to fix it or look into what they could do. And I was like, okay, we're at Walmart. Let's just go get some of the fried chicken or whatever, eat our meal here, so that way we don't have to stop later and kill even more time because we're, this is going to put us behind schedule. Right. And so we all have our lovely, you know, mission trip shirts on that was, you know, set our <laughs> church and all what we're doing. And here comes this gentleman's like, what's going on, you know? Because when you see 20 or so people wearing the same shirt mm-hmm. in the front of a Walmart, you kind of wonder. Yeah. And we explain what's going on. He's like, oh, well, you know, I've been helped by some Christians before. I'm not a Christian. I want to say he was a Muslim, but I own the cut and shine across the street. You guys are more than welcome to stay there, spend the night there if you want. Just lock up when you leave. Wow. And the cut and shine, what an amazing place. It was a car detailing. Okay. Barber shop. Uh-huh. Beauty salon. And like barber college. All in one. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, you can shine your car up as you get a cut. Yeah. And it was like, what a nice guy to be yeah. able to provide this blessing because we didn't know. And let's be honest, not many places are open at 430 in Horn Lake, Mississippi on mm-hmm. a Sunday afternoon right. to fix a bus. Wow. And so we get there and then it was one of those, okay, we could maybe spend the night here, but eh, the floor is a little dirty. So we got the bus fixed at nine o'clock or so at night finally. And we're like, you know what? Let's just continue driving down. We'll end up getting to you know New Orleans you know, and two in the morning and I was in contact with Camp Restore down there and and so we're like, okay, let's lock up and go. And then we think, okay, we're gonna make it. I'm in the van. I say a prayer in our van, like, God help us, you know, let us mm-hmm. get there safely. My phone rings as soon as I say amen pretty much. Yeah, the tire just blew again. Oh no. And so I was like, ah, oh, and we already locked up locked up the cut and shine. So then we had to find a hotel in Horn Lake and Ended up getting some of the same guy, I think, came back out to fix the tire, and then we just took off in the morning. But there was somebody, you know, that didn't have the same beliefs as us. Right. But he was providing a blessing to us of a place to stay mm-hmm. if we really needed, which would have saved some money because that wasn't part of my budget planning, like hotel for yeah. how many hotel rooms that ever was. Oh, for sure. Wow, that's a great story. And uh, it kind of leads into the next section of, of the article um, is it's titled blessing is more important than converting. And, you know, I, I got to admit, like at first I'm like, Oh yeah, blessings are important. But then I'm like more important than converting like mm-hmm. long range versus short range goals kind of thing. So um, just, you know, ho- hold, hold your thoughts on that friends. Um, so I'll just kind of share a little bit about that portion. He said in tw- 2007, um, a particular person went to Thailand to research business as a mission, and uh, its uh, acronym is BAM, Business as Mission. Bam, bam, yeah, enterprises in uh, in the cultural context. And he did 128 interviews across 12 BAM enterprises. And here's what he found: he said some businesses were struggling financially, producing minimal mission results, and the common themes were these: they used terms like convert and evangelism. They kept conversion at the forefront of their goals. The social contribution the business made to the lives of the Thai people was only instrumental in value, and the business itself was only a vehicle for proclaiming the gospel. Um, but then uh, the other side was there were businesses that were flourishing and had tremendous business uh, missional results. 
And uh, the common themes were these. They used terms like bless, and they held sincere concern for the Thai people, keeping the desire to help their financial, spiritual, and relational aspects of their lives as their primary motivation for operation. Overall, the blessers produced more converts than the converters at a ratio of 48 to 1. Wow. And that's uh, that's pretty interesting. So, you know, I look at, you know, the title of that section to me was, eh, I don't know that I align, but I get it. I get that if we lead with trying to bless people, just as this individual in Horn Lake, wherever, uh, in the middle of nowhere, blessed right. you, right. Missouri. No, it was Miss is Horn Frog, Horn, Horn, Horn Lake, Horn Lake. I can't remember. Horn Frog, well, Horn Lake, Horn Frogs, wherever it is. There's a lot of horns. Um, but he blessed you, right? And right. so, like you, he blessed you to keep going on your mission. And to me, I see that where the blessings are really important in terms of gaining relational cred. Uh, if I can use that word, like, you know, change in your pocket. Like if you're blessing people, you're giving to them, they're receiving. There's this wonderful exchange of thanksgiving and great hospitality or giving. And then I think that can lead to something deeper, which maybe the hopes could lead to some conversation that may lead them to understand Jesus, um, but so that that's where I kind of go a little off from right. the article a little. And I think, you know, kind of how it wraps it up there about, you know, instead of hypocritical, we can be seen as authentic. Mm-hmm. Instead of sheltered, we could be seen as engaged. Instead yes. of condescending, we can be seen as genuine. Instead of being judgmental, loving. And I think when we bless people like they're talking about in that previous section, mm-hmm. that changes the mindset of people. So then they're a little more willing and open to hear yes. that message mm-hmm. so that you can share Christ. And it kind of goes back to that first story you shared about that guy was saying, like, wait, you guys took week pay, took a week off mm-hmm. to come here mm-hmm. to help me. That can kind of show that authenticity and that you're genuine about your faith. Right. And they might always ask, well, why would you do such a thing? Yeah. And while, you know, your blessing of the people may not lead in that moment or that time with them to them converting to know Jesus. We're all about planting seeds, right? So like everybody's on a journey, but it could set them up for the next person who comes and maybe their guard is down a little bit more and then they're willing to hear the gospel. Right. Uh, and and maybe you've shared a little tidbit and for them to consider, but it didn't lead to a converting exchange but it's just we're planting seeds along the way, and God makes it grow. So, yeah, great points about, like, we're seen as authentic, engaged, genuine, and loving. So, right. And that's such an important thing with people these days, to be that authentic, because people sniff that out right away when you're not authentic or genuine. Totally. Yeah. And that's just going to shoot you right in the foot any witnessing you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for hanging in here with us to kick this around, uh, particularly this uh, great article that we read by Cities Project Global, What If We Aim to Bless People Instead of Convert Them? And uh, we just pray that, you know, from our conversations, you can ponder and think, you know, how you go about uh, blessing others and uh, sharing the love of Christ and allowing God to do his work to, to, in his time, bring them to know Jesus. Mm-hmm.